Gentlemen, bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Chicago, a musical vaudeville. doing. I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well, of course. I have a question for you. Does anyone else jump to the work of David Yazbek when they hear that song, the song we just heard, My Own Best Friend? That struck me fairly late in the prep stage for this episode. I kept thinking specifically of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels for some reason. What can I say? I I don't know how to explain it. Sometimes I feel like a nut. Sometimes I don't. From, okay, I I wanna share something with you in this opening segment. Patty and Benny, we are all here in the stage left studio as well, but I want to share this with them and you, the listeners, okay? I have been obsessed with this for over a week now. This is from Chris Jones's New York Daily News review of the new Some Like It Hot musical adaptation, all right? I am quoting Chris directly here, quote, the new musical version of Some Like It Hot roars along like the 20th Century Limited, racing from rumba to samba and jive to basso double. Its book, unfurling with breakneck zestiness, and its fleet-footed dancers and singers speeding so fast from one transition to another that it feels as if someone has lit a fuse and the Schubert Theater is set to burst into flames every night at 10.30. Imperative for everyone to get out alive! Quote, Now as someone who considered becoming a journalist at one time, I was, I was in high school when I, when I thought about becoming a journalist, I know from experience, that very limited experience, that the lead sentence in this review, that was the lead sentence you heard right up top. That is way too long. It, is, it doesn't border on parody. It is itself a parody of itself. I, I cannot believe that anyone let Chris Jones get away with such an indulgent opening line. And if I may focus specifically on the phrase, uh, I'm sorry, the book unfurls with breakneck zestiness? Is that what it does, Chris? The book unfurls. All right, I suppose I understand what you're saying. It it rolls out is what it does. It unfurls. But how does it unfurl? I mean, how would you describe the unfurling process, Chris? Well, I would describe it... 
<laughs> as, as happening with breakneck zestiness. I don't think anyone would describe a book unfurling or rolling out in front of you. Oh, the book unfurls with breakneck zestiness. I don't mean to belabor the point. I, I just don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Again, so indulgent, so meaningless. Maybe clear the deck a little bit. Figure out what you really want to say. And that second sentence in the opening paragraph, imperative for everyone to get out alive. Uh, uh, relate to people as they are, as if they are people. Could you for once assume as a critic that the people who read your reviews are people and not people who think like you in these ridiculous, I wouldn't even say flowery sentences because that implies some level of poetry. Ugh. This episode, by the way, <laughs> I'm done ranting about that. This episode will drop via Patreon on January 2nd, Monday, January 2nd, which is, it marks our fourth anniversary as a podcast. Four years of podcasting under the banner of the musical man. We are so proud to be here with you. We have so much more to do, but we, we want to take a moment to reflect on our achievements. Yes, main feed listeners will be hearing this on January 4th. Womp womp. Two days after our fourth anniversary. See, this is what happens. This is what happens when you're not a patron. If you donate at least $1 a month via Patreon, musicalmanpod.podbean slash no, what is it? Musicalmanpod dot no <laughs> patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. I was thinking of our Podbean website address. Oh no. Become a patron today, and here's the point. You will get all of these main feed episodes two days before everyone else. They'll be getting them on Wednesday, you'll be getting them on Monday, and that's so you can celebrate these 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 major achievements with us in a timely fashion. Alright, it's time for the show facts regarding Chicago. That is the subject of this main feed episode, and we have so much to talk about. But first, we gotta start with the show facts. Show me the show facts, right? Yes. Alright, let's do it. The basis for this week's subject is Chicago, a play by Maureen Watkins that ran for 172 performances on Broadway in 1926. As a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, Watkins covered the trials of Bayula Anon and Belva Gertner, who rose to fame when they were separately charged with murder. The Chicago press was positively obsessed with lady killers in this day and age, as their stories made for good melodrama and conjecture. Were these women guilty, innocent? Did it even matter? Could their sob stories and cutie pie punums earn clemency from a jury? These are the questions that filled our sleepless nights. A bit of trivia regarding Bayula Anon, she hailed from my hometown of Owensboro, Kentucky. Respect, born in Owensboro, moved to Chicago, it me, that feeling when. Bayula moved to Chicago, it me, with her husband, Albert Al Anon. Just take that in for a second, his name was Al Anon, I can't believe it. And soon thereafter, uh, Bayula began an affair with a man named Harry Kalstedt. After shooting Harry in the back, bam, bam. Bayula played a recording of Hula Lou on repeat for four hours while freebasing cocktails and watching her lover bleed out. Patty Benny, can we just get a small sliver of that song, Hula Lou? Imagine hearing this for four hours while staring at somebody's corpse. You can talk all you want about women, said a sailor known as Dan McCann. But if you want to know about women, you've got to talk to a sailor man. I don't know how many I have met, and there 
isn't any that I'll regret. But the lady who gave me a trim is a gal I can't forget. Her name was a hula The kind of gal that couldn't be through. She did her dancing in the evening breeze. Needs the trees. Oh, how she used to shake her seaweeds. I never knew a man who wouldn't shoot a damn through and sail across the briny blue to the lady known as Hulaloo. Spooky, am I right? Bayula eventually called Albert Alanon to let him know about the incident, though the details of said incident changed early and often. To his credit, Albert stuck by his wife through thick and thin. He spent all of his money to ensure Bayula had a rock-solid defense, and when she was ultimately acquitted, Bayula rewarded Albert with a divorce. I have left my husband. He is too slow. That's a direct quote. Damn, Bayula! Fuck! A bit of trivia regarding Belva Gertner. She was accused of killing Walter Law, who was found in Belva's car next to a bottle of gin and a gun. Upon being found at her apartment near a pile of bloody clothes, Belva confessed to driving drunk with Law while feigning ignorance regarding the rest of the night. I don't remember a thing. Stop asking me questions. One of Belva's co-workers told the police that Belva was highly possessive of Law and had even threatened him with a knife. Belva expressed a different POV while talking to ace reporter Maureen Watkins. To quote Belva directly, quote, No woman can love a man enough to kill him. They aren't worth it because there are always plenty more. Walter was just a kid, 29, and I'm 38. Why should I have worried whether he loved me or whether he left me? Ugh, gin and guns. Either one is bad enough. But together they get you in a dickens of a mess, don't they? Quote, Spoiler alert, Belva was also acquitted. You're free to go, Belva. Maureen Watkins was a student at Yale's School of Drama while working for the Tribune. When Yale tasked her with writing a play, she quickly turned Bayula Anon and Belva Gertner into Roxy Hart and Velma Kelly, characters who would become eminently more famous than their real-world counterparts. Prior to its Broadway debut, Chicago the Play went by the title Brave Little Woman. The script has since entered the realm of public domain, though for legal reasons it can only be produced under the title play ball. Why play ball, you might ask? Well, stay tuned. Ooh. Moviegoers were treated to not one but two adaptations of Watkins' play. The first was Chicago, which premiered in 1927 and starred Phyllis Haver. Haver started out as one of Mac Sennett's bathing beauties. Can we say callback? I think you can. The second film was Roxy Hart, which was released in 1942 and featured the iconic Ginger Rogers. Speaking of iconic, it was Gwen Verdon who first thought to turn Chicago the play into Chicago the musical, an idea she took to her then-husband Bob Fosse. Bobby! Fosse met with Maureen Watkins several times, but she refused to hand over the rights. No, Bobby, no! When Watkins left this mortal coil in 1969, representatives from her estate struck a deal without hesitation. Yes, Bobby, yes! Before we move on, I would like to emphasize the supersonic development timeline for Chicago the play. Watkins covered the trials of Bayula and Belva in 1924, wrote and got her play to Broadway by 1926, and by 1927, it had been turned into a major motion picture. We made deals back in the jazz age. We have nothing on their hustle culture. Are you 
kidding me? Chicago the Musical, a.k.a. Chicago, a musical vaudeville, was a 1976 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on June 3rd, 1975 at the 46th Street Theater and ran for 936 performances. The book was written by Fred Ebb and Bob Fosse. The music by John Kander. Lyrics by Fred Ebb. Director Bob Fosse, musical director Stanley Lebowski. Orchestrations Ralph Burns. Choreographer Bob Fosse. Shocking. Scenic design Tony Walton. Lighting design Jules Fisher. Sound design Abe Jacob. Costume design Hello Again Patricia Zibrot. The original Broadway cast was as follows. Jerry Orbach, Cheetah Rivera, Gwen Verdon, Barney Martin, a.k.a. Morty Seinfeld from Seinfeld, of course. We have Mary McCarty, Michael O'Hahi, Candy Brown, Hank Bunez, Christopher Chadman, Cheryl Clark, Graciela Danielle, Jean Foote, Gary Gendel, Richard Corthays, Michon Peacock, Charlene Ryan, Ron Schwinn, Paul Solent, Pamela Sousa, Monica Tiller, and last but certainly not least, Michael Vita. As always, I do apologize if I've mispronounced any of these first or last names. Michael in particular, that last name, Ohahi, H-A-U-G-H-E-I, O apostrophe, H-A-U-G-H-E-Y. I'm having trouble with that, so Michael, I apologize. Now, Liza Minnelli famously replaced Gwen Verdon for a month while she recovered from throat surgery, while Verdon recovered. And Ryan King, another Roxy replacement during the show's initial run, would go on to choreograph and reprise the role of Roxy for the 1996 Broadway revival. Talk about a comeback. I love it. Tony nods for the original production. Nominations. Okay, it did not win anything. I'll just let you know that. But it was nominated for the following Tony Awards. Best Musical, of course, but also Best Book of a Musical, Fred Ebb and Bob Fosse. Best Original Score, Fred Ebb and John Kander. That particular award went to a chorus line. Yes, that's right. We have Best Actor in a Musical, Jerry Orbach. Best Actress in a Musical, Cheetah Rivera. Best Actress in a Musical, Gwen Verdon. Best Scenic Design, Tony Walton. Best Costume Design, Patricia Subrut. Best Lighting Design, Jules Fisher. Best Choreography, Bob Fosse. Best Direction of a Musical, Bob Fosse. That's it. 11 nominations in total. Zero awards when all was said and done, unfortunately. For the purposes of our plot summary, I'm not going to be taking the reins this time around. No, we are going to, we are going to hand the reins over to an elderly and absolutely anonymous Chicago man. We're going to cut to his audio now, right? Yes, he, he did ask for anonymity. So here we are, a, a Chicago, an elderly Chicago man. Remember that first night like it was yesterday, February 14th, 1928, I believe it was. Yes, uh, there was this dame, okay, Roxy Hart. Oh, she was a real firecracker, that one. Roxy was married to Amos Hart, a real palooka, oh, and he had no idea Roxy had a bum on the side. Ah, what, what was his name? That's it, yes, Fred Casely, that's right. Amos did not have a clue, but he got one soon enough, <laughs> I tell you, because Fred was ready to give Roxy the old heave-ho, and Roxy did not like that very much, no, 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 not one bit, she pumped Fred so full of lead, he could have been a number two Ticonderoga, blammo! <laughs> oh, uh, for storytelling purposes, uh, if you don't mind, 
I'm gonna switch to the present tense. If that's okay with you, I could use another drink in the present tense, by the, by the way. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, so, where was I? So, Amos, he comes home to find uh, this dead Jamoke on the bedroom floor. Ah, oh, Roxy says to him, Amos, it was a burglar. I was defending my life, but you, Amos, you gotta take the fall for me, baby. And can you believe it? Can you believe it? That's, that is just what the Palooka does. He calls the pigs in blue over, whoa, 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 and signs a confession, cause he loves Roxy so darn much. Uh, but there's a hiccup, as there tends to be, see? A cop refers to the stiff as Fred Casely. And Amos knows that name, Fred Casely. Uh, he says, that's the guy who sold us our furniture. Uh, Roxy's nothing but a low-down, dirty liar. Ah, ah. Suddenly, the Mr. and the Mrs., uh, they're fighting like there's no tomorrow, and in all of the chaos, Roxy confesses to the crime of murder. One slip of the tongue, and she finds herself sleeping in Cook County Jail. Now, that place ain't no tea room. It ain't no social club, you understand? They got lady killers by the dozen over there, up to your eye teeth. All of them insisting they're innocent, of course, but I wouldn't want to meet them in no alley, no. Now, the mucho honcho over at CCJ is matron Mama Morton, you understand? Mama knows how to make things happen for her best gal, so... Get that picture in the paper. She does book them. A tour on the vaudeville circuit is what she does. If you've got the dough, mama's got the time. Velma, oh, Velma Kelly is a very nice example. Like Roxy, Velma had been accused of murder most foul. Oh, but with mama's help, she had become Chicago's number one celebrity. But here's the thing about fame. She is a fickle mistress. Sure, Velma's queen of the mountain for a red hot minute. But then all of a sudden, Oh, here comes this Roxy Hart, and nobody can shut up about a Roxy this, Roxy that. Even Billy Flynn, Chicago's finest attorney for a murderess in need, even Billy Flynn is on Roxy's side. Oh, it burns you up. He takes her case and leaves Velma flapping in the wind. Uh, another round as a, uh, as a P.S. Uh, the P.S. in this instance, standing for please, Scotch, I'm begging you. Uh, thank you. Billy is an artist, you understand. With his help, Roxy's run-of-the-mill story becomes a five-star melodrama nobody can resist, least of all the press. Uh, you remember that reporter Mary Sunshine? Mary? Oh, yes, okay. So Mary was such a sucker for that bunk. Uh, that, uh, she would say, yeah, the twin sins of booze and jazz are turning our girls... Our girls into mindless killers. We must save their souls in the name of God and country. Not, not the most original material, but it sold papers. It sold papers is what it did. Velma is watching all of this transpire, of course, and she's feeling mighty frigid in Roxy's shadow. So she goes to Roxy and she says, "Hey, babe, baby, baby." What say you and I team up and take this show on the road? Two killers are better than one after all. That's just math. Let's do it. Let's go on vaudeville. And you know what Roxy does? Oh, she scoffs. She goes, eh, no thank you. Ain't no way Roxy Hart is teaming up with a wrung out husband like Velma Kelly. Ain't no way. Ain't no how. It's about this time that the other shoe decides to drop. Roxy's fame evaporates overnight when a new, oh, a crisp $5 brand new lady killer appears on the scene. Nobody cares about Roxy anymore. She's instantaneously finito. An old rerun nobody wants to watch. Roxy, oh? Uh, but if you think that's the end of our leading lady's story, you don't know Roxy. 
because she has an ace up her sleeve, a bouncing bundle of an ace. That's right. Roxy tells the world she is Juno Ego Prego. And as quickly as she fell from grace, she suddenly finds herself back on top. <laughs> Amos believes he's the papa, but Billy sets him nice and straight. He says, how, how could you be the father? Yeah, how could you be the father? You and Roxy ain't had sex in months. Amos vows to divorce Roxy, which is exactly what Billy wants. All part of the plan, you see. The problem with Roxy, and, uh, you know, there were, there were many problems with Roxy, this being only one of them, is that she won't let Billy take the lead. She's tired of this guy bossing her around. So she decides to drop him flat. Can, I mean, can you believe it? No one fires Billy Flynn. The, the gals who don't got Billy on their side better converse with the man upstairs because I'll tell you this much, they could wind up on the scratchy end of a noose. Take that Hungarian lady, for instance, uh, Katalin uh, Hel Helinski, yeah. Uh, everyone knows Catalin is innocent, but Cook County's eager to prove it can hold women criminals to the same standard as men. So what do they do? They hang Catalin high, that's what they do. Shunk! When Roxy sees this happen to Catalin, she makes the smartest decision in her entire life. She asks Billy for help. Hey, <laughs> bartender, a little help. Taught me off. Thank you! And, and help uh, Billy does. As Roxy's trial comes to a crescendo, Billy makes a stunning proclamation. Despite any doubts Amos may have had, he is undoubtedly the father of Roxy's baby. Overjoyed, Amos promises to take Roxy back so long as the jury lets her go. Oh, excuse me, that was... <laughs> I've had one too many pretzels here. More pretzels, please. Everyone who's anyone is teetering on tenterhooks. Who, whoa, 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 what will be the jury's decision? What is going to happen to our beloved Roxy? Finally, after four hours of deliberation, the verdict arrives. Not guilty. Ah, the celebration that ensues is one for the history books. Roxy is happy and relieved and eager to take advantage of her starter. But that ain't meant to be. No, another day, another lady killer, as they say. No one gives a dose about Roxy now that she's free. No one! Uh, no one, that is, except for Amos. He wants to settle down and raise the baby. The baby that uh, does not exist. I would feel sorry for Amos, but uh, he was uh, he was a palooka, that one. I'll say it again. What happened to Roxy, you might be wondering. Well, she did team up with old Velma, after all. Uh, they had an act that wasn't half bad, I'm told. And, and get this. Their promoter was Mary Sunshine, who, as it turns out, was a fella masquerading as a lady. Uh, now, I deliver this information to you without comment, even if there are those who would have us think it is, I don't know, weird or funny. Oh, I, I ask you, what is weird or funny about a fella dressing up as a lady? Nothing. Let people do what they want to do. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm very drunk, but I have got to deliver 200 barrels of moonshine to a mid-tier crime boss by the name of... Spoiler alert, lean a little closer, Frankie the Slime Ball. Oh, he's really short. See you in the obituaries, okay, fellas? All right, I'm out of here. <laughs> Chicago, that talent. Actually, I will have some more pretzels. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever served to me. Ah.
For the purposes of this week's episode, I began by reading the 1926 play Chicago, or as it is otherwise known, Play Ball by Maureen Watkins. It is available for free. You can read it. It's on archive.org. Now, I forgot the phrase play ball is synonymous with the term cooperate. As a reporter tells Roxy at the end of the play, come on, sister, you gotta play ball. This is Chicago. So there you go. (laughs) The big reveal as to why the play is now known as Play Ball. This same reporter, Jake is his name, describes Amos as, quote, a queer cuss with an anti-gump head on an Abe Lincoln chassis. Quote, I swear to God, I pray no one subjects me to that level of violence. Holy shit. Another quote from Jake, quote, Billy Flynn's the best criminal lawyer in town next to Halliday, specializes in women. Freed Minnie Kalstedt, the hammer murderess. Marcel Wayne, who fed her children arsenic. Quote, uh, I, I gotta ask, how did Billy get the arsenic mommy killer off? That seems very difficult to justify. I forget. Now, now I forget. Was this play written in the 1920s? I, I would have just said it a moment ago, but you know what? Maybe I should review Watkins' stage directions. To quote them directly, here, this is her description of Billy. Quote, The nose starts out Semitic, but ends with an Irish tilt. Quote, Oh, Jesus Christ, Maureen is the equipment in a pyramid? Fuck! Watkins' character descriptions are extremely specific, across the board, no exceptions. Here's another example, quote, Her eyes, she's describing another prisoner, Her eyes are a washed-out blue with now and then a wild, frantic gleam. Her mouth is broad, filled with a fascinating mixture of natural and artificial teeth. There are deep wrinkles, almost cuts, around her mouth and eyes, quote, you know, Maureen, Yale asked for a play, not a novel. I'm just, I'm just saying, I know it's the 20s. We wrote plays differently back then, didn't we? I followed this up with a screening of the 1927 motion picture Chicago, which is available via YouTube with non-negotiable Spanish subtitles. So if you could sort of just put those in your periphery and focus on, if you speak Spanish, this is great. This is great if you speak Spanish, but if you don't, maybe just try to put those in your periphery. Velma as a character is practically non-existent, and that's the case in the other film, Roxy Hart, which we'll talk about here in a second. But I, I was fascinated by that. Velma is a real footnote. And Amos, they give Amos this nice girl named Katie. Katie is waiting for him in the wings throughout the entire movie. And then when Roxy leaves Amos once and for all, Katie sort of comes to the forefront. You, you get the sense that Amos isn't really into her, but she is very obviously in love with him and wants to take care of him. Uh, she, Katie is... She likes coupons. She's a real C-plus of a person, that's what I'll say. Mama tells Roxy about uh, Charleston Lou, who is a prisoner who knifed her sweetie in a dance hall. This is according to the title cards. Charleston Lou, as we see, is reading a book called Standard Etiquette. Specifically, the chapter that asks, when is it correct to use a knife? Five-star joke. I I can't, what do you want from me? That's a perfect joke. In the courtroom during her trial, Roxy presents her legs to the gentlemen who make up the jury. This causes their shoes to stiffen and quiver with excitement. 
<laughs> when Billy orders Roxy to cut it out to be more demure, the shoes, err, they fall limp, they sag. The shoes are sad now, err. Five star joke, perfect, what can I say? It is now time to talk about the 1942 motion picture, Roxy Hard, which I watched via YouTube. There are no Spanish subtitles, unfortunately. What can you do? William Frawley, best known as Fred on I Love Lucy, plays a barkeep in Roxy Hart, and Phil Silver from It's a Mad, 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 Mad World plays a photographer who I believe is named Babe? I think his character's name is Babe. There, here's a good quote from the movie. We haven't had a real good, juicy murder story in this town since the Democrats got hold of the country. I swear, the reporters really do get the best lines in all of these versions. Roxy's signature move in a fight, according to this film, here's what you do. Slowly bend at the waist and topple your opponent with a fucking headbutt. She does that several times. They will definitely see it coming, but that ain't gonna help them, no. When Roxy headbutts you, you go down. Velma is relegated to a single scene in which she and Roxy dive headfirst into a brawl. We hear the sound, I love this, we hear the sound of literal cats howling throughout this fight. <coughs> It's nuts. Roxy's father's reaction? Okay, there is a scene in which Roxy's father learns that Roxy might hang. He he is sitting on a front porch in, a, in an old farmhouse with his wife out in the country. And when Roxy's father finds out that she might hang, this is what his reaction is. Good. I tell you, I don't think it's possible for a human being to be more honest. <laughs> My daughter might be hung. Ah, good. <laughs> the Motion Picture Production Code, or Hayes Code as it was more commonly known, applied rigid moral standards to the film industry from the 1930s through about the late 1960s. Movies were forbidden from depicting, among other things, profanity, white slavery, and homosexuality. To that end, Roxy Hart, the movie, not only makes it clear Roxy is well and truly innocent, she did not actually shoot anybody. It does wind up being Amos. He is the killer. And... <laughs> So not only is she actually innocent, the movie gives her a steady husband and six kids by the time the curtain comes down. Shooting a man in cold blood? No, boo, says the Hayes Code. Motherhood and wifedom in the end? Yay, says the Hayes Code. It's so obvious how they have their fingerprints all over that movie. Now it's time to actually talk about the musical sources that I pulled from. I, of course, listened to the 1975 original Broadway cast album of Chicago. I watched the 1976 Tony Awards performance of the song All I Care About. Patricia Sabrat's costumes for the women in this, in this segment are positively scandalous, and I imagine they blew Broadway's collective mind in 1975. These costumes actually reminded me of another line from that Chris Jones New York Daily News review of Some Like It Hot. He writes, quote, Musicals have long sold sexuality to the punters in the seats, all coughing up their cash and looking for a sensual escape from their boring suburban or hinterland lives. Quote, again, Overwritten, I say, but, you know, and I had a hard time swallowing this premise until I saw Patricia's costumes. I thought, yeah, okay, I get it. Chicago seems like a prize pick for anyone looking to get horny. Well, <laughs> I get it. Is anything more in line with Fosse's worldview than those costumes, by the way? Uh, they, the women should basically be nude without expressing a, a hint of humanity. No trace of it. But they should also be vaguely scary. Anyone see? 
see me and give a girl a break, by the way? I'm Bob Fosse. I'm so sexy. Mr. Jerry Orbach is a salty old alley cat throughout this performance, and we stan him. That's all I have to say about that particular performance. Love, Jerry. 1981 original Australian cast album. You know I listened to that. You can also get that via archive.org. This production features Nancy Hayes as Roxy, Geraldine Turner as Velma, Terrence Donovan as Billy, George Spartles as Amos, Judy Connelly as Mama, and J.P. Webster as Mary Sunshine. I then listened to the 1996 Broadway revival cast album, which features Anne Ryan King as Roxy, B.B. Newworth as Velma, James Naughton as Billy, Joel Gray as Amos, Marsha Lewis as Mama, and David Sabella Mills as Mary Sunshine. This revival has logged, as of December 25th, 2022, 10 1,209 performances, making it the second longest running Broadway production in history behind The Phantom of the Opera. And, as we all know, The Phantom of the Opera is set to close. I think that they're going to keep delaying that closing date, but Chicago eventually will become the longest running production in history. I'm excited for that transition. The revival actually began as a City Center Encores presentation. I did not know that. That premiered in May of 1996 before moving to the Richard Rogers Theater in November. It has since played at the Schubert and is currently running at the Ambassador. What else did I do? What else did I watch? I watched the 1997 Tony Awards performance of All That Jazz and Hot Honey Rag. This is introduced by James Naughton, who appears in character as Billy Flynn. How often do we see characters introducing a Tony Awards performance, an actor in character? Do we see that very often? I'm blanking when it comes to other examples of this phenomenon, so if you think of any, please let me know. I'm very interested. B.B. and Anne's performance of Hot Honey Rag is a must-see, a presentation of pure joy. These two are beaming like a couple of bright-eyed kids, and host Rosie O'Donnell follows this performance with the line, Amazingly gifted and not bad to look at, huh? Delivered with the energy of someone who is being audited, I would say. Rosie, wake up. You seem really mad. You seem mad. Look, I'm not a fan of the Rosie at the Tonys era. The bad banter, the numbers they wrote for her. No, all of that stuff makes me tense. She's tense. I just found out what calamari means. I listened to the 1997 London Revival cast album. For the record, Chicago first premiered on the West End in 1979. But a cast album was never produced at that time, and so we must turn to 1997. We simply must. We have Ruthie Henschel as Roxy, Ute Lemper as Velma, Henry Goodman as Billy, Nigel Planner as Amos, Meg Johnson as Mama, and Charles Shervell as Mary Sunshine. The 97 London Revival was, essentially, it was a recreation of the 96 Broadway Revival. It featured the same director, Walter Bobby, the same scenic designer, John Lee Beatty of the Color Purple fame, and the same choreographer, the aforementioned Anne Reinking. It ran for nearly 15 years because England, like America, had Chicago fever. That toddle in town. Finally, I watched the 2002 motion picture adaptation of Chicago, directed by Rob Marshall and written by Bill Condon. The film ultimately won six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and stars Renee Zellweger, 
Gallagher as Roxy, Catherine Zeta-Jones as Velma, Richard Gere as Billy, John C. Riley as Amos, Queen Latifah as Mama, and Christine Baranski as Mary Sunshine. The movie was actually my first exposure to Chicago, and it achieved instant classic status upon this first viewing. I loved it. Owensboro's Malco 12 Cinema had never seen such a picture, I swear. With this most recent rewatch, I would say the movie has now achieved pretty darn good status. I said this on Twitter, it's a comfort object, I'm very familiar with all of the beats, the shots, so it's very comforting to me. It's not maybe as exciting as that first time I saw it, but what can you do? I know this much, my ignorant ass never would have recognized Cheetah Rivera in the role of Nikki back in 2002, but I sure as hell recognized Lucy Liu, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle was less than a year away. Ah, what a time to be a gay teenager. And I say to you now, now, Queen Latifah has never been better in a movie musical than she is in Chicago. She is more present and playful and well-rounded here than in anything we have seen since. Hairspray, The Wiz Live, you name it. I don't know when she became stiffer and more guarded with these musical performances, but the only one that comes close to Chicago is her appearance in The Little Mermaid Live, and honestly, that's a pale imitation of how excited and joyful she is in Chicago. I don't know what happened. Okay, it is now time to talk about the score of Chicago. Let us begin with the overture. This is from the 1975 original Broadway cast album. Six, seven, eight. This is undoubtedly one of the best overtures in the canon. I cannot get enough of this piece. It goes by in a flash because I lose all sense of time while listening to it. I listen to four different cast albums. Every time that overture started, five, six, seven, eight, ooh! I'm not going to do the whole thing because that would be very, very annoying and I would lose my precious listeners, so I'm not going to do that, do you? We are going to transition into the opening number, All That Jazz. This is from the original Broadway cast. Show the 
So that's final, huh, Fred? Yeah, I'm afraid so, kiddo. Oh, Fred. Yeah. Nobody walks out on me. Rivera's red-hot rendition of All That Jazz is a testament to her sense of duty as a performer. There is not one Fred Ebb syllable left unexamined because Rivera recognizes the potential contained within each of them. This one slides like melted butter. That one growls like a panther. There are hundreds of vocal choices to be found, mined, and used to great effect if you do the work of examining the number carefully. I'll say it again. Do not assume a classic song like All That Jazz or Adelaide's Lament. Don't assume these songs will carry you to greatness simply because generations of people love them on the page. You have to study the page, study the song. This is not homework for Rivera, mind you. From my perspective, the journey and the destination seem equally thrilling to her, and she is celebrating the fruits of her labor on this track. Every member of the original Chicago cast is having a ball, but Rivera is operating on a higher level of euphoria. Is it just me, or does Australia's Geraldine Turner sound like she is trapped in a yawn during her version of this number? Come on, baby, why don't we put the town And roll my stockings down And all that jazz Start to call I know we'll be the spot Where the gin is cold But the piano's hot It's just a noisy hall Where there's a nightly brawl And all that jazz The Australian album is... Uh, look, I'm not gonna beat this drum like a sadist, but that album ain't great. You'll find better versions of every song on the Broadway and London recordings. There is no urgent need for you to visit the land down under. A random assemblage of additional observations regarding all that jazz. We don't hear Roxy shout, I gotta pee! Until the 96 Broadway revival album. So that's it, huh, Fred? Yeah, I'm afraid so, Roxy. Oh, Fred. Oh, Fred! Yeah? Nobody walks out on me! Sweetheart! Oh, don't sweetheart me, you son of a bitch! Whoopee! Jazz. I gotta pee! Would I like to hear Gwen Verdon shout, I gotta pee? Of course I do. Oh, you're gonna see your Sheba shimmy shake. That is the best line from all that jazz, I'll tell you that much. That take came to me during a 4 a.m. trip to the bathroom. I said to myself, I gotta pee. And while I was peeing, I thought, oh, you gotta see your shimmy shimmy shake. That's not it, I fucked it up. Oh, you're gonna see your Sheba shimmy shake. That's better. Catherine Zeta-Jones turns that one jazz, she takes that one instant of the word jazz, and she turns it into this white-hot vocal spike, and I would be remiss if we did not acknowledge that choice. Hold on, hun, we're gonna bunny hug. I bought some aspirin down at 
on a brand new start to do that. <laughs> Glorious. Oh, I do want to tell this story. The lyrics, I bought some aspirin down at United Drug. Those lyrics were censored at my high school talent show. I believe, I believe her name was Hannah. My friend Hannah performed that song for the talent show. And the woman who directed all of the musicals, as well as the choir, she was really bothered by the reference to aspirin. She really didn't like that. She was very visibly disturbed. Aspirin? Well, that's a reference to drugs. I believe they invoke a flask, don't they? I don't know if she missed that. <laughs> I'm convinced I went on, I, I graduated from high school and then I secured a college scholarship. I, I believe I secured that scholarship when, during a dance audition, I chose to limp sing the words, if she'd hear her baby's queer for all that jazz. I... Oh, I tell you, that, that brought the house down. Everyone was laughing at the gay guy. I do say, money, please, college. Money, Mr. College. Money for me. I want us to hear Funny Honey next, and I want to hear the 1997 London revival version of that song because the way Ruthie Henschel whips the conclusion into a stratospheric dazzler is beyond impressive. So I want to make sure everyone gets a chance to experience that. So Patty and Benny, if you please, Funny Honey from 1997. London. A man got a right to protect his home and his loved ones, right? Of course he has. Well, I come in from the garage, officer, and I see him coming through the window uh -huh. with my wife, Roxanne, there sleeping like an He angel. loves me so, that an funny angel. honey of mine. I mean, supposing, just supposing he had violated her or something, you know what I mean? Violated? I know what you mean. Or something? Think how terrible that would have been. Good thing I got home from work on time, I'm telling you that. I say I'm telling you that. He so that funny honey of mine. Name of deceased, Fred Casely. Fred Casely? How could he be a burglar? My wife knows him. He sold us our furniture. Lord knows he ain't got the smart. She lied to me. She told me he was a burglar. You mean he was dead when you got home? She had him covered with a sheet, and she's telling me this cock and bull story about this burglar, and I ought to say I did it because I was sure to get up. Now he shot he off his trap. I can't stand that snap. Yes, oh yes, I love it. Cell Block Tango is next on deck. Come on out here, Cell Block Tango. We're gonna hear the original Broadway version from 1975. But did you do it? Uh-uh, not guilty. My sister Veronica and I did this double act, and my husband Charlie traveled around with us. For the last number in our act, we did these 20 acrobatic tricks in a row. One, two, three, four, five. Splits, spread eagles, flip-flops, backflips, one right after the other. Well, this one night we were in Cicero, the three of us, and we were in this hotel room boozing and having a few laughs, and we run out of ice. So I went out to get 
handsome. I come back, open the door. There's Veronica and Charlie. Doing number 17, the spread eagle. Well, I was in such a state of shock, I completely blacked out. I can't remember a thing. It wasn't until later, when I was washing the blood off my hands, I even knew they were dead. They had it coming! artistic guy, sensitive, a painter, but he was always trying to find himself. He'd go out every night looking for himself, and on the way he found Ruth, Gladys, Rosemary, and Irving. I guess you can say we broke up because of artistic differences. He saw himself as alive, and I saw him dead. The dirty bum, 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 the dirty bum. The spread eagle. Artistic differences. I bet you would have the same. On my best day, I could not do cell block tango justice when it comes to superlatives. Words fail, as dear Evan Hansen once taught us. Words, they fail. I want to provide an English translation for Catalan Helensky's testimony, for those who are curious. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, maybe you never looked it up. But she is saying in her verse, in her section of the song, I should say, she says, quote, How did I find myself here? They say my lover held my husband down while I cut his head off, but it's not true. I am innocent. I don't know why Uncle Sam says I did it. I tried to explain at the police station, but they didn't understand. Quote, Catalan follows her tale with a plea of not guilty, but depending on who's playing her, you may find yourself wondering if that's actually true. But did you do it? Uh-uh. Not guilty. Yeah, but did you do it? Uh-uh. Not guilty. Yeah, but did you do it? Uh-uh. Not guilty. Maybe Catalan did cut off her hubby's head. I don't know. She sounds pretty suspicious on a couple of these albums. By the way, I'm choosing to refer to Catalan as Catalan because in the movie and stage show, she is more commonly referred to as Hunyak or the Hunyak, which is a slur for Hungarian immigrants. So uh, there you go. You, you see why I went with her name. I'm glad that the movie provides a name for her. I want to play an Australian clip. Oh boy, this is a clip from Cell Block Tango, the Australian version of that song. And I just want to, I want to focus on the delivery of this. I won't spoil the line. Let's just play it. Now I'm standing in the kitchen, carving up the chicken for dinner, minding my own business. When in storms my husband, Wilbur, in a jealous rage. You've been screwing the milkman, he says. He was crazy and he kept screaming. You've been screwing the milkman. You've been screwing the milkman. What is this? Screwing. Screwing the milkman. 
whoop, whoop, whoop. I've had some difficulty when it comes to confirming the name of that actor, but I respect their commitment. They decided to go with screwing. You're screwing the milkman, and they stuck with it. I believe we should play Queen Latifah's version of When You're Good to Mama from the 2002 film, as it is A, the first version I ever heard, of course, and it is also B, quite possibly her best musical theater performance to date. She also puts a nice bit of stink on the end of that final Mama's good to you, Mama's good to you. So let's hear that. The folks atop the ladder are the ones the world adores. So boost me up, my ladder kid, and I'll boost you up yours. Let's all stroke together like the Princeton crew when you're stroking Mama. So what's the one conclusion I can bring this number two? When you're good to mama. Latifah. Yes, yes, yes. Queen Latifah, everyone. All I care about from the 1975 original Broadway cast is next. So let's, oh, let's hear it. Oh, let's hear it. I'm so excited. Show me long, long raven hair flowing down about to there when I see her running free. Keep your money, that's enough for me. kicks so much fucking ass. This is Steak and Potatoes Broadway by Gum. Anyone can shout their way through a song like All I Care About if that's the only tool in their box, but Orbach is too talented and too well-trained to rely on volume alone. Every carnival bark has been sharpened for maximum impact, each phrase acting as a mortar shell that blows us to the back of the house. But that demonstration of power still doesn't prepare us for Orbach's finale. That's when his pipes really come out to play, when it's time for us to understand who has been at the wheel this whole time. This is Jerry Bernard Orbach, motherfucker, and don't you ever forget it. Australia's Terence Donovan completely cops out on the final delivery of All I Care About Is Love. You heard it there, folks. Orbach takes us to the top floor of the skyscraper on the word is, while Donovan pulls the ripcord. No, I can't do it. No. Donovan also cheats at the end of We Both Reached for the Gun. Boo. Boo, Donovan. You're a cheater. 
Chicago may be the only Broadway credit Michael Ohahi has yet to... I know that cannot possibly be how you pronounce that last name. I apologize again, Michael. Now, this may, only, this may be the only Broadway credit Michael has yet to earn, but my God, did he ever make that time count. The term virtuoso seems trite when you consider his abilities on this track. Is there anyone within a thousand miles of Broadway who could recreate this performance today? This sonically elastic and completely magnificent performance. I dare say I doubt it. Many have tried, Lord knows, but we have yet to come within spitting distance of Michael. Also fantastic, David Sabella Mills' performance from the 96 Broadway revival. Not so fantastic, J.P. Webster's performance from the 81 Australian production. That one's rough. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to play it. I, I feel like at that point, I would be beating the drum like a sadist, but I would describe it as, oh, strained. I believe we're pressing the instrument a little bit too hard. We're flexing the muscles and they're tearing is what they are. They're tearing. foundation of the earth apart by the time we both reached for the gun reaches its conclusion. By the way, that was the 1975 original Broadway version of that song. Dust flies into the air, followed soon after by tile and dirt and rock and lava. I have never in my life experienced a more ingenious use of lyrical repetition. It is disarming and disorienting to experience, and I become genuinely emotionally overwhelmed in the process. Repetition is the fuel that keeps gun firing on all cylinders. And as we add more coal to the boiler, it soon evolves into a perpetual motion machine. Step out of the way or allow the thundering contraption to knock you flat because we both reached for the gun cannot be stopped. The word the in the final instance of both reached for the gun. You don't, that, that the does not and probably should not be a 13 second power note.
I am quite happy for James Naughton and Henry Goodman of the Broadway and London revivals, respectively. Yes, well done and all that. Very long, very high, long note. Good job. But you're only delaying our arrival to the Big S Life finish. I don't need you to show off right now. We're right here at the tail end. Don't put it off. Don't make me wait. Get out of my way! Stop the presses! Gunvin girl hell! We both went to the gun, says Roxy! Dancing feet leads to sorrow, says beautiful jazz slayer. Roxy sobs, I'd give anything to bring him back. Jazz and liquor, Roxy's bound for <laughs> I always wanted my name in the papers. Before Amos, I used to date this well-to-do ugly bootlegger. He used to like to take me out and show me off. Ugly guys like to do that. Once it said in the paper, Gangland's Al Capelli, seen with cute red-headed Corrine. That was me. <laughs> I clipped it out and saved it. Look, I'm gonna tell you the truth. Not that the truth really matters. But I'm gonna tell you anyway. The thing is, see, I'm older than I ever intended to be. And all my life, I wanted to be a dancer in vaudeville. Oh yeah, have my own act. But no, no, no. They always turned me down. It was one big world full of no. Life. Then Amos came along. Sweet, safe. Amos who never says no. You know, some guys are like mirrors. And when I catch myself in Amos's face, I'm always a kid. You could love a guy like that. Look, now I gotta tell you, and I hope this ain't too crude. In the bed department, Amos was zero. I mean, when we went to bed, he made love to me like he was fixing a carburetor or something. I love you, honey, I love you. Anyway, to make a long story short, I started fooling around. Then I started screwing around, which is fooling around without dinner. I gave up the vaudeville idea because, well, after all those years, you sort of figure opportunities just passed you by. Ooh, but it ain't. Oh, no, 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 but it ain't. If this Flynn guy gets me off, and with all this publicity, now I got me a world full of yes. The name on everybody's lips is gonna be Roxy. The lady raking in the chips is gonna be Roxy. I'm gonna be a celebrity. That means somebody everyone knows. They're gonna recognize my eyes, my hair, my teeth, my boobs, my nose. From just some dumb mechanic's wife, I'm gonna be Roxy. Who says that murder's not an art? And who The 
soliloquy that leads into the song Roxy is superb. I love that monologue. I watched a certain celebrity deliver this soliloquy in a clip on YouTube. Ah, but I won't say who it was for the sake of our ephemera segment. We have a game. We're going to play a game in that segment. Oh, I can guarantee we will hear that soliloquy again in a future coffee ad. Spoiler alert. Gwen Verdon, who you would have heard just now, she has man alive, the comedic touch of a masseuse. Gentle, patient, never pressing for laughs because she knows they will come organically. What a take, right? Gwen Verdon is funny. Wow. And Sophie Tucker will shit, I know, to see her name get billed below. Foxy Roxy Hart. Oh, <laughs> that shit. Ooh, that shit. It's such a fun cuss. You have to sink all 32 of your teeth into that shit. And Sophie Tucker will shit, I know. Life is too short to do otherwise. Really, really chew on it. See also Ruthie Henschel's performance of Roxy from the 97 London revival. I recommend it. We're not going to hear it today because we have to keep moving. But, ooh, check it out for yourself. Top-notch stuff. Ah, let's hear I Know a Girl from the 96 Broadway revival. Hello, suckers. Welcome back. Roxy's in there being looked over by the state medical examiner. She says she's going to have a baby. Now, why didn't I think of that? Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine? You could put her face into a pail of slop And she'd come up smelling like a rose How she does it, heaven knows Hold on, everybody, she's coming out now Well, doctor, is she or isn't she? She is She is I know a girl, a girl with so much luck She could get run over by a two-ton truck Then brush herself off and walk away how she does it, couldn't say. Doc, would you swear to that statement in court? Oh, yeah. Good. Uh, you want to button your fly? I Know a Girl has been a part of Chicago since its inception, but the song does not appear on the original Broadway album or its Australian follow-up. To hear it, you need to sit with the Broadway revival recording from 96, and that's what we did. We sat with it is what we did. Am I to believe Roxy gave a hand job at the very least, to the doctor who validated her pregnancy? If, if that's the case, if that is the, ooh, I gotta say, wow. Roxy is not here to play, she is here to work, and why not? I don't blame her for a second. Her head is on the chopping block if this whole scam goes south. So, you do what you gotta do, I understand. Let me put this on the record. I am, of course, a fan of B.B. Newworth. She may not be a personal top-tier musical theater diva for me, but, uh, you know, personally... <laughs> I said it already, but she is effortlessly funny and owns a ready and steady vocal instrument. These are facts that cannot be denied. <laughs> If someone stood up in a crowd and raised his voice up way out loud and waved his arm and shook his leg, you'd notice him. If someone in a movie show yelled far in the second row, this whole place is a powder keg, you'd notice him. And even without clucking like a hen, everyone gets noticed now and then. Unless, of course, that personage should be invisible 
inconsequential me. Cellophane, Mr. Cellophane, should have been my name, Mr. Cellophane, cause you can look right through me, or walk right by me, I never know I'm there, I'll tell you, Cellophane, Mr. Cellophane, should have been my name, Mr. Cellophane, cause you can look right through me, I walk right by me, I never know I'm there. Mr. Shellafane, that's the song you heard, Mr. Shellafane. Barney Martin's characterization of Amos, I love it. It's so beautifully calibrated. He sounds exactly like the sort of guy who shares way too much personal info with a bartender who forgets about him the second he walks out the door. Amos is the sort of guy who goes to that bar every day for 30 years, drops dead at his home, and is never brought up once by a patron of that bar. Hey, where's the guy who always sits here? What's his name? He's sick of something? No one at the bar is asking these questions. No one. Amos's body was tossed into a pauper's grave. He now lies somewhere beneath the foundation of a Costco. Um, excuse me, Jonathan, you're going to play a bit of Joel Gray's rendition of Mr. Cellophane, aren't you? Aren't you, mister? I am. Now, please stop tearing at my clothes. You've gone mad, all right? Will this help you? Will this make you happy? Let's play Joel Gray's Mr. Cellophane. Should have been my name, Mr. Cellophane Cause you can look right through me Walk right by me And never know I'm there, I tell ya Cellophane, Mr. Cellophane Should have been my name, Mr. Cellophane Cause you can look right through me Walk right by me And never know I'm there Never even know I'm there Hope I didn't take up too much of your time Oh, Joel. I love Joel. I would very much like to play Amos Hart, but in case anyone forgot, let me make it clear for you. I am offer only. All right. Call Patty. Call Benny. I don't care, but make the offer during that call because eh, no auditions for the musical man. No, 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 no. I don't audition. I am the musical man and I'll be performing. No, I never say that. Nah. I walk in during the, I walk in. The first day I come in is for the read through. That's the first time you'll ever see me. The read through. <laughs> Give them the old razzle dazzle. Razzle dazzle. 
since the days of old Methuselah. Everyone loves the big bamboozler. Give on the old three-ring circus. Stun and stagger on. When you're in trouble, go into your dance. <laughs> Though you are stiffer than a girder, they'll let you get away and you've got a romance Give them the old razzle-dazzle Razzle-dazzle Give them an access unassailable They'll wait a year till you're available Give them the old double You got no talents Razzle-dazzle-um 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 And they'll make you a star Ooh, that was Henry Goodman, brother from the 97 London Revival cast album singing Razzle-dazzle We had to hear at least one track from the London Revival Is this the first track? I think it is. I don't know. I forget. Throw them a fake and a finagle. They'll never know you're just a bagel. Oh, that is a very, very funny line. The word bagel has never been funnier. I love it. That's, they'll never know you're just a bagel. That's very funny to me. It's good, isn't it grand? Isn't it great? Isn't it swell? Isn't it fun? Isn't it nowadays? There's men everywhere, jazz, everywhere, booze, everywhere, life, everywhere, joy, everywhere. Days you can like the life you're living, you can live the life you like, you can even marry Harry, but mess around with Ike, and that's good. Isn't it grand? Isn't it great? Isn't it swell? is proud to announce the first, the first time anywhere there's been an act of this nature. Not only one little lady, but two. You've read about them in the papers, and now here they are, a double-header. Chicago's own killer dinners, those two scintillating sinners, Ra 
like. You can even marry Harry, but mess around with Ike. <laughs> And that's good, isn't it grand? Isn't it great? slow and sumptuous slink to the top of Mount Everest. Nothing beats that. So, so good! In a show packed with five alarm numbers, nowadays is the leader of the pack. I'm of the firm belief that Roxy and Velma should laugh knowingly after singing in 50 years or so. It's gonna change, you know. They should do that. They should laugh on it, you know. Laugh knowingly. You are shortchanging the audience if you don't. Laugh knowingly. Uh, Jonathan, Mr. Musical Man, uh, did we ever hear from Anne Reinking? I don't believe we ever heard any audio of Anne Reinking singing these songs. Well, no, we did not. We did not hear Anne. Uh, moving on. I, I wasn't, uh, bowled over by the performance, Miss Reinking. I'm sorry. I, I see what you were going for, but it was too croaky for my taste. No offense. Moving on! That's all I have to say regarding the score for Chicago, a musical vaudeville, which means it's time to hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678. Seven, eight, coffee. They're the ones who are paying the bills. Take it away, five, six, seven, eight. Daddy. Oh, Daddy. Hello. Is anybody home? <laughs> It's your illegitimate son, your bouncing bundle of joy, Mordred. <laughs> yes, Daddy, if you're here, I'm in your throne room all by myself. Ooh, I'm going to do all sorts of devilish tricks. Oh, Mordred the Menace, they call me. I'm drinking your coffee, I should say, Daddy. Daddy King Arthur, I'm drinking your coffee. Mm, yum, yum, yum. It's so delicious, it's going through my nasty little yellow teeth. <laughs> I'm sitting on your throat, by the way. Uh, 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 my ass is out. My nasty, nasty, jaundiced ass is sitting on your fucking throne. I don't wipe. I never wipe my butt. No, no, no. <laughs> Ah, ooh, I'm gonna have that coffee shits later. I'm gonna come back later, 20 minutes or so. I'll <laughs> be right back here. I'm defecating wetly on your throne right now, actually. Oh, I thought that would come a lot later. <laughs> here we go. I'm humping your round table now. Do you? Oh, oh, oh. Hello? Is anyone here? Pay attention to me. I just want a daddy. I just want a daddy who I can have coffee with.
Final thoughts regarding Chicago, a musical vaudeville. This is hands down one of my favorite musical entertainments, a truth I rediscovered all over again thanks to this podcast. I do feel songs like Me and My Baby and When Velma Takes the Stand are paler versions of better songs found in the first act, those songs being We Both Reached for the Gun and I Can't Do It Alone. But that criticism does not sully my overall opinion of the show. It does not, I tell you, it does not, my friends. Now, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical in 1976 was a chorus line, and the additional nominees that year were Bubbling Brown Sugar and Pacific Overtures, which means at this point there is only one show from this set of nominees we have not yet covered, that being, of course, Pacific Overtures. Now... Does a chorus line deserve to keep its medallion? Should I give it to Chicago? Well, you know, I, it took a minute for me to think about this, but ultimately I believe we should allow a chorus line to keep its medallion. Yes, no worries, a chorus line. You shall remain the winner. You remain the winner. It is now time for me to rank Chicago against all of the other shows we have talked about here on the podcast. As a reminder, if you want to check out our full ranking of all of these shows, you could go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod, find our link tree via that platform, you will be taken to the Linktree page. Go to our spreadsheet. The second tab of that sheet will provide all of the ranking info your heart could ever want. Oh, I'm going to place Chicago at number six. Number six on our list. Oh, it's been so long since a show broke into the top ten. Oh, yeah, yeah, This is between Guys and Dolls at number five and Company at number seven. When it comes to show-related ephemera, we have a lot of lovely items for you to peruse this time around. This is from season two, episode 40 of Dinah, the show Dinah, which aired on November 7th, 1975. In this clip, just to let you know, I, I believe it's important to have this context, Cheetah Rivera surprises Liza Minnelli, John Kander, and Fred Ebb during a performance of the song Nowadays. And that's good, isn't it grand, isn't it great, isn't it swell, isn't it fun, isn't it, but nothing stays. In fifty years or so, it's gonna change, you know. But oh, it's heaven nowadays. You can like.
Rise's Chicago run began on August 8, 1975 and ended September 13th. So, this occurred less than two months after she stepped away from the show. It was a very nice, obviously, a very exciting reunion for Cheetah and Liza. It is so fun. Find this on YouTube and watch it in full. Get that visual aspect. You're going to enjoy it. This next piece of ephemera is from Season 1, Episode 17 of The Muppet Show, which aired on January 22nd, 1977. This was brought to my attention by Jason. Thank you so much, Jason. It was very difficult for me to find any show-related ephemera, but honestly, when Jason reached out to me with this, I, there was a snowball effect. I found everything else after Jason uh, essentially got me going with this. Special guest Ben Vereen performs the hell out of Mr. Cellophane in this segment. Uh, alongside, I should say a motley crew of Muppets who ignore him. That's the joke of this segment. Dude is a dang ghost as far as these Muppets are concerned. Actually, it's not even played for laughs. It's played quite sadly. So let's hear Ben Vereen singing Mr. Cellophane. You never know I'm there. I would now like to draw your attention to the song I Move On, which was written by Kander and Ebb exclusively for the 2002 Chicago film. That song wound up being an Academy Award nominee for Best Original Song. The winner, what, what, wait, I should say this. Let's just hear the song I Move On and then I'll follow up, okay? Let's hear the song.
All right, we've heard the song. Now, the winner of Best Song of the Oscars in 2003 was Lose Yourself, written by Eminem. That's from the film Eight Mile. Additional nominees from that from that year, here, here they are. Burn It Blue, written by Elliot Goldenthal and Julie Taymor for Frida. The Hands That Built America, written by U2 for Gangs of New York. And Father and Daughter, written by Paul Simon for The Wild Thornberries Movie. Did not know that was an Oscar-nominated movie, but it is. A very weird year. That that nomination, that category, I mean, is a very weird category. Here is our, well, it's not our last piece of ephemera because we do have our game that we have to get to, but here is the last bit of audio, I suppose, in this ephemera segment. This is from episode 12 of season 42 of Saturday Night Live, which aired on January 21st, 2017. In this sketch, Kate McKinnon roasts, oh boy, does she ever roast, Kellyanne Conway by singing a parody of Roxy, and the name of that parody is Conway. Ah, I bet you're excited, right? I bet you're really happy that we're about to hear this. Let's hear it. I love Trump, and I believe in Trump, and the reason I joined his campaign is because I thought that he's going to be present for all people. Really? That's really what you thought? Mm-hmm, yes, that's what I thought. And that's all you thought? Well, I guess if I'm being completely honest, Jake, I did also think. The name on everybody's lips is Gallon Bay, Conway. The lady raking in the chips is Gallon Bay, Conway. I'm gonna be a celebrity. That means somebody everyone knows. They're gonna recognize my eyes, my hair, my teeth, my boobs, my nose. Ooh, I'm gonna join SAG. From just some dumb blueberry farm, I'm gonna be Conway. Who says that lying is not enough? Why did we produce this pitch? Why did we spend all of this money to recreate a segment from a 2002 film in 2017? Nobody finds it funny. They are laughing out of sheer politeness. It's the social contract. I, Saturday Night Live, you know, <laughs> a lot of people have said it. Not the best comedy for the most part. Without further ado, I do want to introduce our latest game. Oh, it's game time, baby. And the name of the game is The Great White Way or Hey, No Way. In each round of this game, ooh, each round poses the same tantalizing question. Which of these three pop culture figures has not appeared in the long-running Broadway revival of Chicago? For your reference, for an example or two, three, four, here are a number of people who have starred in the revival. From the world of music, Brandy, Patti LaBelle, Maya, Usher. From the world of film, Cuba Gooding Jr., Melanie Griffith, Patrick Swayze, Billy Zane. From the world of television, Michael C. Hall, Nene Leakes, Brooke Shields, and Sofia Vergara. And from the world of Broadway, Tay Diggs, Jennifer Holliday, Adam Pascal, and Ben Vereen. Oh, I should also say from the world of fashion, Isaac Mizrahi. I, I know. 
Some of these names are wild, and so that's what's fun. I'm going to present to you three pop culture figures. Two of them have starred in the Broadway revival, and one of them hasn't. I threw them in there to, to mix you up, to mess you up. You have to, you have to call my bluff. You have to say, hey, no way, to me, the musical man. Patty Benny, can we get some nice mood-setting game show music? Ooh, that's a classic, baby. That's a classic. Now, play along and keep track of your score. I encourage you to play along. This is so fun. I want to. It is. It's fun. You're having fun. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed putting this together, and I want to know your scores, so keep track and send those scores to me. Round one! Round one is known as the Bathing Beauties round. Here are your three pop culture figures. We have Naomi Campbell, who is best known as a first-generation supermodel. She actually walked for Isaac Mizrahi at a runway show. Christine Brinkley is your second option. She is a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. And finally, rounding out this trio is Pamela Anderson. She was a Playboy model, of course, but also a star on Baywatch. Yes, of course. So, to review, here are your options. Naomi Campbell, Christy Brinkley, Pamela Anderson. Which of these three did not appear in the Broadway revival of Chicago? I'm going to give you a second, and then I'm going to give you the answer, all right? Take a second, meditate, choose who you think is the hey no way answer and then I'll give you that answer all right take a second All right, the hey no way in this instance is Naomi Campbell. That's right, she never appeared in the Broadway revival. Round two, this is the Make Mine Music round. We have Kevin Richardson from the Backstreet Boys, Marty Pello, the lead singer of Wet, 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 and Jordan Knight from New Kids on the Block. Which of these three is the Hey No Way, which did not appear in the Broadway revival of Chicago? Take a second and make your decision. All right, you've had more than enough time, I say to you. The answer here, the hey, no way, is Jordan Knight. Oh, wow, how you doing so far? We're only two rounds in. Round three is known as the Chatty Cathy's round. Oh, we have Joy Behar from The View, Wendy Williams from The Wendy Williams Show, and Jerry Springer from Jerry Springer. Who is the hey, no way? Who is the hey, no way? Take a second. The answer in this scenario, oh, who is it? Is it Joy Behar, Wendy Williams, or Jerry Springer? The hey no way is Joy Behar. It's true, it's true. She was never on Broadway, not in Chicago at least. I don't know if she's done any other theater. Round four, this is the Mr. Sitcom round, okay? All right, here are your three options. Alan Thick from Growing Pains, Tony Danza from Who's the Boss, and Joey Lawrence from Blossom. Alan Thick, Tony Danza, Joey Lawrence, who is it? Who's the hey no way? Take a second. The answer, the hey no way is Tony Danzo. Oh yes, Honeymoon in Vegas. Of course he was in Honeymoon in Vegas, but Chicago, no, not so much. Round five is the grab bag round. Just three random figures for you. We start out with Jinx Monsoon from RuPaul's Drag Race. We follow that up with Penn Gillette. Oh, one half of the Penn and Teller acting, the act. <laughs> you know, the Penn and Teller duo. And finally we have Ryoka Yonakura, 
from Dr. X, Surgeon Machiko Damon. She is also the voice of Black Widow in the Japanese language versions of all of the MCU films. So, Jinx Monsoon, Penn Jillette, Ryoka Yonakura. Which of them is the Hey No Way? You have your answer. I believe you do. The answer, uh, let's see if you're right. The Hey No Way is Penn Gillette. Penn has never done it, but can you imagine? I could see him doing Billy Flynn. Why not? I, I assume he can sing. It would have been better about 10 to 15 years ago. Now, not so much. But round six, the Pop Queens with a Z. Pop Queens. Okay, these are pop singers. We have Lindsay Lohan, who of course had two albums in the early 2000s. Speak and a little more personal. Raw. That was the, that was the title of the second album. We have Mel B, aka Scary Spice of the Spice Girls. And rounding out this trio, we have Ashley Simpson, who sang most famously Pieces of Me and uh, made a fool of herself on Saturday Night Live. We found out she was lip syncing. Remember that? Who is it? Who's the Hey No Way? Lindsay Lohan, Mel B, or Ashley Simpson? It is time now to reveal that the Hey No Way is Lindsay Lohan. But, oh, that would have been wonderful, wouldn't have it? Wouldn't have it? <laughs> round seven, Revenge of the Boob Tube. That's the name of this round. We have John O'Hurley from Seinfeld, Family Feud, and Purina's National Dog Show. We have Harry Hamlin from Clash of the Titans and L.A. Law, and Kevin Sorbo from Hercules. Which of these gentlemen has not appeared in the Broadway revival of Chicago. Tick-tock, tick-tock, Mr. Wick. The answer is Kevin Sorbo, that conservative asshole. You're not welcome on Broadway. Fuck off. Get the fuck out of here, Kevin. Kevin! Round eight is the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills round. All of these people have been featured on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, but... Only two of them have appeared on Broadway in the Chicago Revival. One of them has not. Which one is that? Is it Erica Jane, Lisa Vanderpump, or Lisa Rinna? Erica Jane, Lisa Vanderpump, Lisa Rinna. Who is it? Who's the hey no way? The answer is Lisa Vanderpump. She's never done it, baby. She's never done it. Round nine. This is the touchdown slam dunk round. Elvis Stochko starts us off here. He is the Canadian. He is a Canadian Olympic figure skater. We have Jerry Rice, who played on the San Francisco 49ers and appeared on Dancing with the Stars. And finally, we have Eddie George, who also played for the NFL. He played on the Houston Oilers and the Dallas Cowboys. To review, Elvis Stochko. Jerry Rice and Eddie George make up this trio. Who is the Hey No Way? Figure it out. The answer is Jerry Rice. Yes. How are you doing? We're going into our final round. Tally up your score. Keep track of that shit. Round 10 is the Salt and Pepper Rockers round. You like the names for these rounds? I do too. We have Michael Peter Balzari, a.k.a. Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Billy Ray Cyrus, the man who gave us the achy, breaky heart song. And he's also, of course, a major component of Hannah Montana. And then our final fella here is Huey Lewis from Huey Lewis and the News. Michael Peter Balzari, a.k.a. Flea. Billy Ray Cyrus, Huey Lewis. Who is the Hey No Way? Oh. 
The answer is Michael Peter Balzari, AKA Flea. No, Flea has never done Broadway, you fool. Did you get it wrong? You're a fool. If you got it right, hey, you're so smart. <laughs> Again, I want to know how everyone did. I hope you enjoyed that crazy game. To determine which show we discuss next, we will need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Jack the Stripper. Ooh, everyone ready? Then away we go. subject of the main feed is the 1954 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 583 performances on Broadway, and the name of that show is... It's not as beloved as Chicago, I know that damn much. It is Kismet, not Kinsey. I keep referring to it as Kinsey in my head. It's not, nobody turned Kinsey into a musical. It's Kismet, and we will be bringing that to you next week. You don't have to wait at all. No more waiting, no. You'll get that next week. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmainpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. You can donate one, three, five, or $10 a month. Normally, I would break down all of the benefits that you get from all of these tiers, but I think this, this episode is running pretty long. So we're going to skip most of that. Just go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. We have a full breakdown for you there. But I do want to I do want to provide our weekly verbal shout out to everyone who donates at least a dollar a month via Patreon. So thank you. Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Mark S, Rob, Shauna, she Deontay, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. Thank you so much. Is there anything here that I want to pull out? Uh, any, anything important here? We're going to be providing you, the, the patrons, the series finale of M3, The Movie Musical Man. M3, The Movie Musical Man is, of course, a series for which we watch trilogies of movie musicals that fall under a certain theme, and the series finale is the next chapter trilogy. That's the theme. Ooh, it's movie musical sequels. How exciting. We're going to be talking about Funny Lady, Grease 2, and Love Never Dies. So again, that season finale will drop Wednesday, January 25th, which will make 16 episodes overall in the M3 series. Very excited about that. And as a reminder, those who donate at least $3 a month or more will be getting a brand new eight-episode bi-weekly series starting March of next year. And I think we are finally ready to announce what the name of this series is and what the premise of it is. The name of the show, okay, this brand new series, it's going to be known as TV VIP. It's a show dedicated to musical television series. TV shows that are themselves musicals. Oh, we have a whole lineup ready to go for you. It's going to be so exciting. Again, that's going to start in March of 2023. Not sure of the hard release date for that first episode, but we will keep you updated. Of course we will. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny in the booth here at the Stage Left Studio. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and thank you to Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, you know what that sound means? Oh, I sound like Anne Ranking. Uh, yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off finishing, and good night.
definitely gifted and not bad to look at, huh?